Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. You need Tax Network USA, and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS, they know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited-time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited-time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. Hello, America, and welcome to the Thursday edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News, where we're going to be talking about the lawsuit. Yeah, you know the one we're talking about, the one that President Trump and the America First Policy Institute filed yesterday, taking on big tech at the federal level, class action, a fight for free speech, a fight against censorship, a stand in the courts, in the court of law. Uh, that will be amplified, I'm certain, by uh, a stand in the court of public opinion. Yes, the big lawsuit uh, was announced yesterday by President Trump, by Brooke Rollins, the uh, extraordinary president, chief executive officer of America First Policy Institute. She was President Trump's chief strategist and domestic policy advisor for most of his term. And now she runs the the group that really is extending the Trump doctrine, the policies, America First policies, into another generation of Americans. And she is here today to tell us what this lawsuit's about, what the strategy is, what its goal is. And then we'll talk a lot about what AFPI is doing, because they have a lot of amazing centers cropping up, policy centers, whether it's education, national security, homeland security, the border. Uh, they have an all-star team of Trump experts and Trump policy experts and true subject experts uh, that they're creating. And they're quick becoming a very important voice in policy circles, in media uh, in the everyday public, and also, most importantly, at the state level, state legislatures, state governors, taking Trumpism ideas and adapting them to their states, even why President Trump is in Mar-a-Lago, not in Washington right now. Uh, very important movement. Brooke is the the mover, the shaker, the inspiration for that entire initiative, including the lawsuit that was announced yesterday. And we just want to hear from her. So we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, the whole show dedicated to our exclusive interview with Brooke Rollins. We'll be right back. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now the good news. The studied ingredients in Lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, 
Add lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's takelean.com and enter the promo code JUSTNEWS15. That's the promo code JUSTNEWS15 at takelean.com. One more time, takelean.com. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a healthcare provider. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And for the first time, I'm very excited to welcome to this show somebody who's had a massive impact on American policy over the last decade, particularly during the Trump years, and is continuing to extend the legacy of the Trump doctrine, all of those America first policies that President Trump put into motion. Her name is Brooke Rollins. She was the director of domestic policy and chief strategist for President Trump, and now is the president and CEO of the America First Policy Institute. You know that group because we've had a lot of their experts on the show, but now we have the founder and the chief here. Brooke, welcome to the show. Well, John, what an honor and how much fun to be with you today and talk to all of your many tens of thousands of listeners. We really appreciate it. Well, we're, we're honored to have you on. And what a day. If we were going to pick a day to have you on, we couldn't have picked a better one because yesterday you made some gigantic news. You and President Trump uh, and AFPI have gone in. There's a class action lawsuit. You're challenging that censorship that we've been complaining and whining and gnashing our teeth at. You're taking them on in the courts, Facebook, Twitter, Google. Tell us what motivated that and uh, where that's headed. Well, I really appreciate that. Yesterday was a banner day, especially for our fairly young uh, three-month-old organization. Yeah. But this is something we have talked about and have really thought about for a very, very long time. You know, the, the headwinds that we faced in this administration, well, first of all, you think about the accomplishments, right? The, the economy, the energy independence, the fight for education choice, the Middle East peace. I mean, it was just one thing after another that was accomplished, in, and I believe, in this last administration, and I'm so proud to have been a part of it. But but you think about all that being accomplished in the headwinds of big media, big tech, uh, big government. You think about the government yeah. shut impeachments, the, the pandemic, and, and it, frankly, almost a miracle, I think, that we were able to really piece together what became the America First agenda and, and, and in fact, changed and, and helped so many Americans, especially those living on the margins. And, and so back to kind of yesterday, through all of that, clearly in the White House, in the Oval Office, you know, working for this president, it was just remarkable to see the amount of pushback and and just toxicity and and the and the the, the lies that would be told about us yep. and clearly a lot of that came from the social media side and so we would talk about how can they do this and you know it was one thing if it's the president of the United States which is pretty astounding but he had the resources somewhat to push back but when you think about the same thing happening to thousands of Americans who just use their social media for town halls and conversations and posting, you know, certain opinions. And, and we just would look at each other and say, this is not right. This is not America. And the minute, the minute that the First Amendment becomes meaningless or is hijacked by three major companies, that's the start of the end of the great American experiment. And so when we left, you know, what's it been four or five months ago, we really started thinking about what we can do. Of course, we launched the America First Policy Institute to continue the transformational policies, not on behalf of Donald Trump, but really 
frankly, to build it out beyond Donald Trump. I mean, how has this become a hundred year play to save the country? But we knew that the fight against the censorship had to be at the very top of the list. So even though we were a brand new organization, we started talking to some of the best attorneys in the country. We knew the president was very keenly interested. We knew that most former presidents probably wouldn't be willing to take this fight on. That's right. But Donald Trump is not most former presidents, if any former presidents. And and he relished it from the moment we discussed it. He said, absolutely, yes, I am in. And when we framed it to him that, you know, in a way, this is about what they've done to you, but a hundred times bigger than what they've done to you is what they're doing to the American people. And he was in. So yesterday we announced a big complaint filed in South Florida. And here we go. It's going to be a, a momentous case. And you just kind of get the feeling that maybe the Supreme Court wants one of these cases coming their way. Um, that the Texas Supreme Court just had a big ruling uh, on Facebook and sex trafficking. So there, there's the beginning cracks of this uh, we're immune from everything mentality that uh, that big tech has had. Now, in addition to being an incredible policy advisor and, and uh, from going all the way back to Rick Perry, President Trump, uh, you're also a very accomplished lawyer. Help us walk through the the legal uh, uh, underpinnings of what you're going to ask the courts to do. What is the, what is the legal concept here that you're asking the courts to do? Well, we are we are filing basically the cause of action that was filed uh, was a First Amendment cause of action and basically saying that big tech like Facebook and Twitter and YouTube could not shroud itself in the protection of Section 230, which, you know, you're, you're probably most of your listeners don't have the time. They don't have the energy to even figure out what that is, but they probably heard that at this point. Section 230 was a piece of the 1996 communications law. And at the time, no one ever even thought, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg yeah. was in middle school, I think. I Isn't mean, that was, amazing? Yeah, it is amazing. <laughs> The, the internet was 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 just beginning, and so that effort, that Section 230, was put into place to stop child pornography, child trafficking, child exploitation, so that the internet could not be used for that, and and basically gave protection to those internet sort of companies at the time, which were very small, none of them were even around anymore, um, to ensure that they could do what they needed to do to stop that sort of a content, for example, going back and forth across the internet. If the people who had written Section 230 and who voted on it all those years ago, 1996, not one of them, I would guess, I bet a lot of money on this, could even have imagined that it would be used today to protect the likes of Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg and their companies and to protect them from being able to tell a school teacher from Michigan that she can't post a question on why her children should have to wear masks or to tell a family in Florida who they can't, that they can't post anymore because they're using the term illegal immigrant, illegal alien. Or right. to tell my press vote in Washington, D.C. that he can't post something on critical race theory and having parents question what their children are being taught. I mean, John, this is this is censorship. This is tyrannical. This is what happens in countries that lose their freedom. When you have a few people deciding what kind of content can get to the masses, it's a frightening time in our country. So that's what we're basing the case on. That's what we filed in Southern Florida. And uh, we fully expect to get to the U.S. Supreme Court, um, hopefully sooner rather than later. 
There were a lot of people excited by the news. The second it broke on our site, we just saw the action in social media, people talking about it. And it was sort of a moment of rejoice because I think people have felt frustrated for a long time, but they keep hearing, hey, you have no recourse. Yeah, there's Section 230 until Congress uh, changes Section 230. You're just going to have to take this one on the chin. And I think yesterday there was this cathartic moment where, hey, somebody's in the fight. They're not just accepting the the narrative that you got to wait until the law has changed. And um, all across the country, people were, were, were talking about it. And uh, it's going to be interesting to, to see where it is. As that's going on in the court of law, in the court of public opinion, and in the marketplace of ideas, there are all these new areas and new challenges to Twitter, Facebook, and, and YouTube growing. The rumbles and the parlors and the getters and the uh, cloud hubs that are all emerging and trying to start to create an ecosystem where traditional American free speech values are cherished and privacy is cherished. Uh, the combination of both things happening at once, the, the ability to uh, attack these large multi-billion dollar institutions that control thought and speech in America, and the ability to incubate and grow new free speech um, venues that are or more like the America we remember from a couple of years ago. Uh, talk about the dynamic. What happens as, as these two things are playing out? What do you th- what's your prediction of where this free speech uh, debate ends up? Well, I, I love the way that you framed that. And it reminded me yesterday, one of the, I guess they're called memes that were sort of running across social media. And I actually, funnily enough, I'm, I'm not on Facebook or Twitter, and I, I never have been. I have four children that That's enough to keep you busy, right? <laughs> yeah, well, that kept busy, and I just didn't want them to experience as they were growing up the hate yeah. against their mom from people that didn't even know me. I mean, that right. was really my approach, but clearly it is an important medium, and, and conservatives have used it, as the president did, to speak to our people. So I don't, I certainly don't um, disparage anyone that has used it, and, and, and I may soon, if you know, we go back in the right direction. But one of the memes that was running across social media was Zuckerberg on that on the water with a white flag. Yep, yep. Oh, I, mean, I think he had something from the 4th of July. He did, flag. yeah. It was the white flag, and below it it said, finally, we're going on offense. I said, that is exactly what we're doing. And, and you know, conservatives uh, have, the, the truth is on our side, right? The Constitution, the Bible, um, we know what is good and just. And, and I, I sincerely believe that that is where the Trump movement came from. You know, so many of those people had never voted in a Republican primary before, but they saw someone fighting for them that was talking about returning power to them. And the question of who chooses, right? Who gets to rule in America? Is it the the founder's vision of the people or have we lost that? Is it now just a handful of elites that decide for us, which is what we're moving to. But the amazing thing is, and from my perspective, is that this has really woken up so much of our country that probably knew something was wrong and didn't love where things were going and didn't love their property tax or their income tax bills and new government had gotten too big, but that didn't quite know how to articulate it. And now they do. They see the critical race theory, the government-sponsored racism that's infiltrating everything we're doing. They see big tech taking over and telling people what they can and cannot say. And even the numbers, almost 70, 75 percent of Americans think that big tech has gone too far, that they are censoring based on political ideology. And if you think that's a big number, that's a lot of Democrats in that number. So it's not a Republican versus Democrat thing anymore. It really is a 
What kind of America do you want your children and your grandchildren to grow up in? And guess what? There are a lot of Democrats who don't want their children growing up in the country in in what it looks like right now. And that's what we're going to change. Yeah, you can see it. I mean, the school board movement where you have parents now running for school boards that they used to ignore. And uh, at every step of the grassroots from the local all the way up to the national, people are activated. And it really is a question. uh, it, It no longer is, hey, we disagree about some policies. It is. What sort of America are we going to live in uh, in the next 25 to 50 years? And you're on the forefront of really setting the compass for a very large number of uh, millions of Americans in that. Talk a little bit about what motivated you to create AFPI. I think it's such an amazing thing that this group of centers all kind of putting together and taking the Trump doctrine and making it an American doctrine now. Uh, just talk about how that started and where, where your early work is focused. Well, I really appreciate that, John. And I will tell you, part of my, I I sort of have always in public policy been, talk about being on offense. I'm always trying to think, how are we on offense? How do we continue to make the case to America that our ideas are the ones that benefit most Americans, all Americans, but the ones who benefit the most are those living on the margins. And that's something our side has never been great at. We're great about talking numbers and charts and graphs. And deficits, and but for the for the single mom in Detroit, who I always think about, how does this policy affect her? How does a healthcare system where the you get to choose your doctor, the government doesn't choose your doctor, how does that affect that single mom in Detroit? What about an economy where we're cutting taxes and opening up, you know, getting rid of regulation, opening up um, the economy for prosperity? How does that affect her? And how do we talk to her about that? And I really, I tell you, being the president's domestic policy chief and running the strategy in the in the West Wing for a couple of years, three years of the four years, we were finally, I believe, really hitting our stride. And we were making so much progress, not just on the policy, but in the people that were coming to to really see and believe in what we were doing. So my great friends, Larry Kudlow, and a few of the other senior team at, at the White House, we started mapping out about a year before the election. No kidding. So this goes back well before the election then, huh? Not AFPI. We yep. were mapping out the second term agenda right. and how we were going to double down on the work we had already done on the economy, on health care, on regulation, on national security, education, American values, uh, safety and security. Of course, the innovation front, the space force, all the things we had done so that we were ready on November 4th to begin to implement term two. And when about, you know, everyone got to that place at a different day in right. November, December, but, but as it became apparent, whether fair or not, that we were not going to be there on January 21st, we started to have the conversations, well, how do we keep this movement going? And I was planning to go back to Texas. I was planning to go back to my think tank I ran and built here in Texas, kind of the same model. But, uh, but the more we all talked about it, Kudlow and myself and Linda McMahon and others like Rick Perry and Chad Wolf and Robert O'Brien, we just got together and the president, of course, loved it and said, all right, well, we've got a gap here. We've got to build this out in a way that continues the agenda, continues the transformative work, fights back against the new leadership in Washington, but at the same time goes into the states and makes the case for the America First agenda in the states, whether it's an Oregon or a California or a Pennsylvania or a New York or a Florida. Yeah. Let's take the agenda directly to the people. And that's how AFPI was born. It is a remarkable story, and its impact is almost instantaneous. I mean, you see in the early 
legislative things that uh, Florida has done or Texas has done or, or Arizona has done, whether it's a, a school choice or, or economic policies that take a different path than Joe Biden, who wants to pay people to stay at home. All of the concepts of the Trump economics, uh, the, uh, the American first priorities are, are seeping into the states. And I think our founding fathers always intended the state legislatures and the governors to sort of be the laboratories of what would eventually become federal policy. So you're beginning to see movements of what Trump created at the national level, starting at the state level, and they're going to come back to Washington, I think. And you have set that tidal wave into motion, which is is pretty remarkable. What should we be watching for in the next few months, whether it's the lawsuit, the policies, what are the, the hot button issues and things that if you're concerned about this country, you should be tuned into and dialed into? I would encourage everyone to go to AmericaFirstPolicy.com. Our 21 centers are all working around the clock. And it's interesting, you know, our Center for Education Choice, they're obviously a state-focused center. They're working with the state legislature. Our Center for National Security is working on making sure the American people understand what's happening with the Biden administration and the deconstruction of the the amazing four years of, of security and strength that was built under the Trump. Um, administration. So every center has a different strategy. Every center has an amazing leader. And and stay tuned, because again, I think that the movement is upon us, and we have been given an opportunity that the radical left that has taken over the Democratic Party has opened up a, a, a road and a lane for us like we've never seen before. And, and it's time to take our case to the American people, make sure they understand what's at stake, and that ultimately we're fighting for the future of America and who gets to make the decisions. Yeah, and you've been through a lot of elections, whether they were in Texas or in Washington across the country. And uh, uh, Elise Stefanik was on the show a couple of weeks ago, and she said the best political advertisement for Republicans right now is just listening to what the Democrats are proposing because they're literally spitting into the eye of the American people. And it's so interesting. You know, I, I was in a store this week, and a woman came up to be recognized me and said, you always say elections have consequences. I'm feeling those consequences. I just filled up my gas. I just bought some meat. <laughs> I can't believe the price. And I, I now know the uh, impact of election consequences. The Biden agenda compared to the Trump agenda is that the uh, the debate that we're going to have in 2022? Well, there's no doubt about it. And, and we have been given such a gift um, by whether it's on energy or taxes or health care. Every single one of these key issues that most Americans care about and or they notice their top issue, what the left has done and what they stand for uh, is not what the majority of Americans or even Democrats stand for. Yeah. And that is why Great we point. have to make We've got to tell our stories. We've got to, you know, the elections are ultimately, I think, the metric of the work that we do. We're a 501c3. We are nonpartisan, but we are for freedom and we will do everything we can to see agendas move forward in legislative bodies, um, you know, talking points in elections that really encompass our founders vision of, of what this country could be, what it is and what it must continue to be for the world. Well, it, it is a, an, a noble fight, and it's going to be one that I think will be epic over the next year. People are going to see the choices that are ahead of them and, and make a very clear decision in 2022, 2024. Um, as we head out, I want to have a fun question because we're about a month, month and a half out from college football season, and I know you're a Texas A&M Aggie. How are Aggies going to do this year? Well, let me tell you that. Now, you're really- <laughs> now I got you in your wheelhouse, right? <laughs> So the Aggies, we believe, got a little rigged, got got a little bit of the short stick. We should have been in the Final Four. Yeah. Uh, for your fans who are, you know, college football fans. Absolutely. But 
my Texas Aggies under Jimbo Fisher, my, I have, my, my two boys are 15 and 17. Oh. They are convinced we're actually going to beat Alabama this year. And if we do, John, then we are, should be in the final four, and we may make a march to the national championship. So the Rollins are feeling real good about uh, the fall and college football. There are a lot of people thinking that way this year. I think everybody's got their eye on Texas A&M. And like you said, they missed it by a razor here last year. They're, they're going to be on the front lines, and it's going to be fun. People in Texas are going to be rejoicing all year. It's going to be great. Brooke, I can't thank you enough for all you're doing, for spending the time today explaining what's going on. This lawsuit is so important. We're going to need to stay in touch with you and uh, hopefully get you back on the show as as this evolves over the year. And congratulations already for the impact that AFPI has had just in the few first few months it's been in existence. Well, blessings to you, and that means so much to me. And I will come on your podcast anytime. You just oh, let me know the time and the place. I'm blushing. Thanks so much. That's really awesome. Well, you have a good rest of the day, and uh, we'll uh, we'll be in touch soon, I know. Sounds great. Bye-bye. Thanks, Brooke. All right, folks, we're going to go a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up for the day. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, What makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. All right, folks, that wraps up another show. I didn't get a chance to mention it at the beginning because I couldn't wait to get to the Brooke interview. It's such an amazing opportunity to be able to talk to her and and get the lowdown on what they've created with America First Policy Institute, what they're doing with that epic lawsuit against Google, Facebook, and uh, Twitter. Uh, but yesterday, last night, big story broke right as you were probably going to dinner a couple hours after our last podcast. Uh, a federal judge refused to block the new Georgia election law. And today I wrote a piece taking a look at the dangers of the battle that Democrats staked out. Early on, they staked out a position that they were going to oppose election integrity laws, even if they were common sense, even if they involve things like voter ID, that three quarters of Americans overwhelmingly support, including African-Americans, including even Democrats. Well, one of the dangers when you run into the winds of common sense of Americans uh, is that you may get challenged at the courts. And early on right now, the Democratic posture in the courts is not very strong. Uh, the, The judge is ruling yesterday deciding that he would not grant an injunction for two reasons. One, the likelihood they would not succeed, meaning challenging the law on constitutional grounds. He said he wasn't convinced by the constitutional arguments. Two, he wasn't willing to go and disrupt the election a couple weeks out because Georgia has a special election later this month. But a very important ruling, and it's one of two or three in the last four months that need to be paid close attention to. The courts are looking upon election integrity with a close eye, and early on, They're siding more with conservatives and Republicans than they are with Democrats. Let me give you three examples. I just mentioned the federal judge's ruling in Georgia yesterday saying he will not block implementation of the Georgia election integrity law passed after November, passed earlier this year, sort of the first of the many rallying cries in the states to tighten up election laws after what we saw in November 2020. But secondly, uh, the Supreme Court last week at the very end of their term concluding that Arizona's election 
laws, the new ones, the ones that prevented ballot harvesting and also negated uh, ballots if they're filed in the wrong precinct, meaning you showed up at the wrong place to vote. Both of those restrictions were upheld as constitutional. They were not Jim Crow, like a Joe Biden or a, a other Democrats might argue, Nancy Pelosi and, and Stacey Abrams. Uh, they upheld that saying, listen, if you're not trying to specifically target minorities or socioeconomic status, if you're just applying this equally, the legislatures have the right to set rules in a way uh, as the founding fathers intended. That was a big one because I think that has a ripple effect. It sends a, a message to every judge about to get an election challenge. Hey, follow this guidance. And finally, let's go back a little bit because I think a lot of people miss this ruling in the transition between uh, President Trump and President Biden. But the Wisconsin Supreme Court ruled that one of the tactics used by Democrats in Wisconsin to draw out the vote approved by Governor Evers and the Wisconsin Election Commission in Wisconsin, that you could exempt people from the voter ID requirement the state law had by just claiming they were homebound because uh, they were afraid to go out in the middle of COVID. Uh, it was unconstitutional. It was unlawful. Now, we know there were somewhere near 200,000 ballots cast that way in Wisconsin in 2020 in a state where the difference between Joe Biden and President Trump were less than 20,000 votes or about 20,000 votes, I should say. Uh, well, that's 10 times the margin of votes that now have been called into question the legality. Wisconsin Supreme Court ruling you got to abide by the rules that the state legislature makes. You can't make it up as you go. Unelected bureaucrats, governors, politicos can't undo the will of the people as exercised through their state legislature. Wisconsin Supreme Court, federal court, United States Supreme Court, three rulings in the last couple of months, all of them siding with conservatives and Republicans and common sense election reform over some of the arguments that Democrats and the Jim Crow 2.0 crowd have been making. This is going to be, as I've said many times on this show over the last few months, the courts are going to be an extraordinarily decisive location for dissettling just what type of elections we're going to have forward. The early signs are the Democrats' early arguments are not working uh, in that the legislatures and their power, as long as they're not trying to disenfranchise blacks or Hispanics or Asians or whites or whatever ethnicity, if its goal is not to repress vote, but rather to set reasonable rules that American people want for their elections, it looks like the courts will be deferential to those legislatures. Very big one. The next one to watch, I'll tell you this right now, it's also in Georgia. We're going to go to Georgia twice, right, for the courts. Uh, will Attorney General Merrick Garland, will his Justice Department lawsuit challenging the Georgia law be looked upon with favor with the courts, or will it be turned down like the uh, civil group, uh, the watchdog group yesterday was? That will be the next bellwether. That could come up any day now, so let's keep an eye on it. It could be anywhere in the next month or two. Very important things, of course. There's an audit going on in Georgia, an audit going on in Arizona. Those also will inform this debate. But a lot of movement. And today, I tried to pull it all together for you uh, in a story, the headline of which is Democrats uh, dug a hole on election integrity and the courts may bury them in it. It really goes through all of the dynamics, the early tea leaf reading from the courts, from the justices at the Supreme Court, Wisconsin Supreme Court, federal jurists at the bench level. All of that pulled into one story so you can understand it quickly. And you don't have to take my word for it. I have links to every ruling, every story, every piece of research I did. So you can click through in the dig in button like you often can and check it out for yourself. We always try to do that at Just the News. That's our promise to you. Transparency. 
we won't indoctrinate you. We'll inform you. You can make up your own mind. And we did that today with that election story. Hope you get a chance to look it up. Again, so grateful that Brooke Rollins could spend so much time for us. Really extraordinary opportunity. Tomorrow we're going to be back. We're going to preview a very important event this weekend. You might not be aware of it, but it is a global event with global uh, consequence. Uh, the free Iran event is occurring in capitals all across the world, including in Washington, including in many European capitals. It's organized by the main Iranian opposition groups, the expats who are fighting the mullahs who control Iran, the radical theological mullahs in, in Iran. And uh, the focus on toppling the regime and getting Iran to a moment of freedom like its people so clearly want through the protests and strikes that are going on in their country right now. That is going to be a dialogue, and we're going to have an incredible expert here tomorrow. Ramesh Sheparad, an Iranian expat herself, whose sister was imprisoned, whose parent was imprisoned by the Iranian regime. Now they're here in America. Going to tell you the inside scoop of what to watch at this free Iran event and what is going on between Iran internally with its new human rights abusing president and the United States and other European countries. Lots to talk about. Great show tomorrow. It'll give you a lot of food for thought going into the weekend. Until then, thank you for listening today. Thank you for checking out justthenews.com. And may God bless you and God bless this incredible country as he always has, the United States of America. I've been listening to John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. Thank you for doing so. I'm forever grateful. <laughs>